0: there's less market makers in crypto who are ready to warehouse risk and so you see those wild swings in in those second order parameters and so that that makes those uh, those reverse knockouts actually even more attractive when when that skew is for the top side when to be honest it shouldn't be
1: hi i'm david rachel director of sales at paradigm welcome
2: to the big picture
0: assume...
1: so the obvious trade is always the expensive one to this care. whole
2: peak inflation peak rates narrative peak fed which we've if been talking know, about It's an expensive place to find out crypto ball uh, a potentially fatal place to you find know, the, out. the the crypto option markets are definitely showing some signs of life Hey guys so welcome to the big picture my name is Joe Cruy I'm at Paradigm in the weeds around everything crypto ball markets and today I'm joined here by a new paradigm guest to the show Sohan on our sales team in Asia Sohan, if you just quickly introduce yourself, uh, I think that'd be helpful.
1: Yeah, sure. Hey, hey, guys. Uh, so my name is Sohan. Um, I'm a director of institutional sales out in Asia. And my background is uh, on the Treadfire side. Uh, I come from a structured products background, so structuring sales, always in FX and rates. Uh, and I moved over to Paradigm about um, about a year and a bit ago. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to chatting.
2: All right, Awesome. And today, very, very excited to say that our featured guest is Caroline Marone, co-founder of Orbit Markets in Singapore. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, of course. So just to start, if you could just tell us about your background and how you transitioned from trading FX derivatives at Deutsche to now basically pioneering the crypto exo markets at Orbit. It definitely seems like quite the jump there.
0: Yeah, thanks, sure. Um Yeah, so like Georgia like said, uh, I spent uh, 13 years at Deutsche Bank, uh, trading uh, mainly trading FX options, quite a bit of uh, exotics, and uh, I was uh, I was co-head of the FX trading business for APAC In my last three years, I quit uh, middle of 2021. I just kind of wanted to change and do something else, and uh, I started looking into crypto. After that, a few months after that. And um, yeah, I was. I thought it was really interesting, actually, that uh, the the crypto ball market was was pretty liquid. I think, Joe, you mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts that people at JP Morgan don't even know there's a bull market, and well, I, exactly. I was I was kind of one of these people. Like, I didn't really realize how how liquid the vol market was, or or that it even existed. So, as I, I took some time off, and I realized all these things, and I got really interested, and at the same time. I also realized that despite a liquid, uh, fairly liquid, vanilla options market, no one yet was doing exotics, um, which are, you know, in, in obviously you, you guys worked in Ivy, you know, like in the typical options desk, whether that's in equity or in FX or in commodities, exotics and bespoke um, structure products tend to be quite a large part of the, of the business. And, and so we were surprised that no one really was, was doing this in crypto. So we thought, yeah, that's a that's an opportunity here. Yeah? There's a yeah, gap. Well, I think and part of it is uh, like expertise. as you
2: said, right? Nobody really knows in TradFi, or not that not too many people know in TradFi that this there's actually a somewhat liquid, you know, vanilla market here. And because of that liquidity, you can actually, you know, replicate some of these payoffs.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's quite uh quite interesting that you know some of these products are being done in TradFi in very emerging currencies or in single stocks that really, vanilla options barely trade, right? And uh, <laughs> so in that sense, like crypto options are, are easily more liquid than some of these things. So yeah, crypto exotics can can very legitimately be hedged, um, at least to some extent, and essentially run the same kind of business model as you do in, a, in an investment bank. So this is what we, we set out to do.
2: Awesome. That, yeah, that makes total sense. So just so typically when we record, you know, the big picture, you know, we discuss the, the crypto vanilla option flows in the market, macro environment. But giving your crypto exotic lean, I feel like that would be kind of like a wasted opportunity. And the fact the fact we is, can do that too if you want. No, no, it won't be as exciting. You know, and, and the reality is paradigm doesn't yet see exotic flows on our platform because all the paradigm trades are exchange settled, right? So I I do think that today's format should be a little little different. And we kind of dive into that world of CryptoXO. And just to set the stage for, you know, people that might not have too much of a background in exotic derivatives. So exotic derivatives are types of financial derivatives that have features that are more complex or bespoke than, you know, a traditional vanilla option, you know, such as, you know, bespoke payout structures, you know, multiple underlying assets, such as baskets, or unusual expiration dates. So, yeah, I come from an equity exotics background where a lot of the structures that we were trading, you know, were ones introducing discontinuity risks such as, you know, barriers or binaries or, you know, trading realized volatility or variance in swap formats or you know, forward starting options, you know, an option that begins a year from now in, you know, January 2024 but has like an expiration in in January 2025. So, J- just wanted to set the stage there uh, for viewer, for viewers. But in terms of you know crypto exo, it's like a fairly young market. But what sort of like products are you seeing demand for, and what are the sort of structures that tend to the price attractively?
0: I feel like you've done my job already going through all the products. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, look, I think like. Maybe one product, one exotic product that's quite familiar uh, and quite talked about in the in mainstream news is uh, is the variance swap, uh, which in equity is inequities known as the VIX, uh, and, and that that VIX index is very well known, and so people trade those variant swaps in uh, in tradfi it's an extremely liquid product, really, probably more or similar to vanilla options. Joe, you probably know better than me for equity, but mm-hmm. this is a liquid product. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, in a, I'm, I'm from FX background, not so much, uh, but still vol swaps and, and variant swaps are, are a very common product. And we've also seen um, demand uh, of, for these products in crypto, I think for exactly the same reason as they exist in TradFi, basically, People want people have views on whether the market is going to be volatile or not, um, and they want to express those views without having to keep changing their position. If, if your view is that volatility is going to go up, well, you can buy an option. Uh, that's great. That's a, that's a good good thing to do in the in the beginning. But then, after spot starts moving. Then maybe your exposure is not what you wanted it to be. Suddenly you have a directional exposure rather than a volatility exposure. And that's not your view anymore. So you need to keep rebalancing this thing, maybe sell that option by a new option, etc. People don't really like doing that. They yeah, don't so like let's, doing let's, it. Uh, yeah. yeah, so let's let's deep
1: dive into that for our uh, you know for our listeners, right? So um so let's say I have a view that volatility is going up. Traditionally, what I would do is I would just go in and buy a vanilla option and then delta hedge multiple times as spot is moving. And as spot moves far away from the strike, then my Vega is less. And so I have to go in and buy a, buy a different option, et cetera. So you're basically outsourcing that entire function to, to you.
0: Yeah, exactly. You just, uh, you, you want to, you think volatility goes up, you just buy a so-called volatility swap and your payout is exactly whatever the volatility ends up being the realized volatility minus where you bought it, so that's a very clean way of taking a view on volatility, and all the the nitty gritty of uh, you know doing the vanilla option, doing the delta hedges, rebalancing the vanilla options, etc. You don't have to worry about that. That that's for us to do, and that's um, much more efficient for a dealer to do than for an individual um, trader because you know we can aggregate. All different positions, and and we will have a lot of offset, so that we don't need to keep rebalancing each individual position, and and that will give us economies of scale. Whereas if you're doing it for your own position, that becomes really expensive. All these all these rebalancing and rehedging. So that that's one example uh, that uh, we've we've definitely seen demand for this year. Actually, both ways. Uh, some people wanted to by ETH volatility. I think our, our friends at, at Ribbon Finance were actually uh, pitching that idea to to buy ETH vol and- uh, Oh, so like
2: an ETH, like a like a systematic ETH, ETH vol swap um, yeah. that's offered to their to their vault investors. Interesting. Is that is that cap forward?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that it has to be it ha- the loss has to be flown uh, because you know that that basically that sets a maximum loss and that that fits into a vault format much better uh, or into any kind of DeFi format. And um, yeah, usually these things are just caps and flow. It kind of makes the payoff a little bit smoother for, for all parties. Uh, so, so we had some interest uh, in that. Um, that looked really good historically. If you look over the long term, essentially something always happens over a three months period that, you yeah. know, it, there are some non-volatile period, but if you look over three months, so something always ends up happening, so that looks good. Um, at the same time, I think at the time, uh, like a few weeks ago, the the BTC vol versus ETH vol, that looked a little bit um, like not wide enough. Like BTC vol was a bit too high uh, as compared to east vol. If you compare to Realize. so some people were interested to sell the the BTC vol swap. Um, so that. So, but will you show yeah.
2: will you so show spreads as well? Have you seen like interest in the spread where like you know sell BTC buy ETH, especially with the Shanghai upgrade you know coming now and you know the the massive rally that we, that we had uh, you know in BTC versus ETH. You know, uh, I could see people kind of looking at that trade.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I think that makes total sense now with the Shanghai upgrade. I, I actually think people are maybe, maybe uh, like. Not really paying enough attention because nothing happened on the merge, and now it's like, oh, uh, whatever happens on the east chain, you know, it's just non-event. But yeah. but this yeah. one might, might have, actually has like supply and demand effect more, more more so than the merge. So I think it could be interesting, and, and we've definitely had interest uh, all over that event.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just speaking to the vanilla options market, we we saw. I mean, we saw so much. You know interest in in demand for premium like ahead ahead of the merge and i mean a lot of that kind of just you know went, went to waste right um and so far around around the upgrade as you as you say that has you know much larger supply demand implications we really haven't seen seen anything yet right like it, it could be the case you know people are going to wait until next next month uh to start putting on those views but as, as of now they, they 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 just really haven't Um, so we'll, we'll see the
0: the event is barely priced in, right. There's like barely noticeable term structure on the, on the March contract. Yeah. So it's, it's cheap at the moment, I would say.
2: Right. And I mean, just like operationally as well, right? Like there's, there's, there's also just like technology risk that that's just not baked in, right. You know, where, where something has the potential to, to go wrong. So like, okay, so how do you, how do you guys see this, you know, the crypto exotic market you know evolving going forward like are you are you guys seeing interest from like like for example i come from 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 the equity vol background we were doing like a lot of like structured note business right you know like the the worst of auto calls you know out of you know the japanese and korean family offices was was quite massive right so just for the viewers effectively what these structures do is they combine a coupon payment with a a short worst of knock in put on a basket of underlyings, you know, S and P Eurostock and Nikkei, for example, uh, in in uh, equities would be like a very common um, auto call. These things would have like a two to four year maturity, and given effectively, whoever owned this note had this long covariance exposure on a basket of highly correlated assets, you could collect some optimally, you know, attractive yields on this stuff, right? So. Are, are you guys starting to see, uh, you know, some demand, demand for that sort of stuff? It kind of seems like a, a logical target audience if these guys are kind of looking to collect these juicy yields already in equities. I mean, hell, what happens when you put a basket of BTC, and <laughs> I mean, God forbid Solana. I mean, let's, let's hope yeah. none of those were, because those would have knocked, right? <laughs> those would have knocked and would have gotten nasty. Like, have you guys seen any demand for that stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a bit. Um, I would say it's a bit different from what we see in tradfi. Like in, in tradfi, this business is um, is very well. The infrastructure is very well defined. You know, there's the the distribution partner in in Japan and Korea, and then there's the issuer, and then there's the investment bank acting as the swap dealer, and and so all these things have been happening for for 20 years, and the process is very well-defined and like smooth. Um, I think that, I mean, we are nowhere near in in crypto at the moment of having all that infrastructure in place and and all the different roles well set up. Uh, So we're ready to be a a dealer in these products. We've done them. I
1: mean, maybe, maybe, yeah, please keep going.
0: Yeah, look, I think those products are very complex uh you know ask <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i mean I, I was i was literally about to be like can we talk about something simpler
2: <laughs> um yeah.
0: like
1: uh, like i mean i, I guess like uh, in terms of like the way paradigm works right like uh, you know we have a, a bunch of market makers and then we have a bunch of takers that come in occasionally to express a very directional view so uh you know these these you know these hedge funds or you know risk takers they're they are completely not um you know taking a ball view right they're, they're coming in to you know do like a very specific look heat is going to go to this level right i mean for those guys um is like something more like first generation exotic like a knock-in knockout type uh instrument i mean do you offer that to hedge funds
0: yeah totally i think the the simpler product and probably the most popular as well is the the reverse knockout and in terms of the those directional type trades so Maybe for for those who are not familiar with the product, um, let's if you take an example, let's say you think uh, ETH is going to go up uh, between now and, and end of March. Um, you want to buy an ETH call, but that's quite expensive. Um, so, okay, you're looking to cheapen it up. So one simple way and common way to do that is to buy a call spread, uh, which people do. Uh, so maybe you buy. Uh, 31st of March, 1700, 2100 call spread, and i will cost you, I don't know, 5% or something. Um, but, but you can cheapen that further, uh, and, and one common way to do this is to say, okay, actually, if spot goes over 2100 at any time during the life of the trade, then I'll get nothing. So with the call spread, if it's over 2100, you're payoff is capped but you still get something and it can go up at any time and come back down etc but with the reverse knockout it needs to never go over 2100 if it does you get zero Uh, so your view is that it's going to go up but not quite that much 2100 is pretty far yeah Uh, and if you have that view you get a much you can get the option for much cheaper uh, about two percent. Like I'm, I'm throwing numbers. Like those numbers move around, but you know that around around that kind yeah. of discount, so very meaningful discount.
2: Yeah. I, on a on a similar note, have you guys looked at appearing call spreads? what's it's call
0: spread sorry
2: An appearing call spread. So you're you're long a vanilla call, and then you're short a further out of the money call with a knock in higher, right? So you have the yeah. vanilla option exposure. And, but then if you knock in, it just goes to the call spread.
0: Yeah, 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 That that's quite common as well, yeah. I think the, at the moment, I would say people seem to prefer the, the RKO format, but uh, but exactly. that, that, yeah. That yeah, is I it. mean, I guess
1: I guess it's a very similar view, right? It's like, it's gonna go up, but it's not gonna go up too much. But like- Exactly. You get something
0: with your with setup, the Joe, like if it goes way through, you still right. get something. Yeah, right. yeah that's the- yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, let's say, like, you know, uh, a big client comes in and says, look, I, I think uh, Shanghai Upgrade is going to be a really um, a big event, but it's really, we're not in the right macro environment for it to really roof it, right? So uh, as spot goes up, you know, there's going to be a lot of selling pressure because, you know, a lot of people, you know, suddenly um, they're not down as much as they used to be, right? <laughs> um, so, um, you know, like for them, the option is like that as in the three things that they can do is either buy a call, right? And then buy a call spread, which they can do uh, on Deribit or another exchange. And then OTC, they can do an RKO or like an appearing call spread or something like that, which is even more leverage. Right. And you get twice as much. Is it, is it like about 50 percent off? Like if you in that in that example that you just gave?
0: Yeah, I think mean usually uh, even a bit a bit more. Like people will look to like 60, 70 percent discount. That sort of thing.
2: Yeah, the, the upside, the upside skew is so jacked out there, right? You can, you can really get a lot of, a lot of discount by, by selling those strikes. I mean, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, look at like the, the upside, realize that, you know, ETH or even BTC could potentially have, I mean, look at the beginning of the, the beginning of the year, right? You move 40% in two weeks. Uh, So yeah, it, yeah, it it totally makes sense. Like in the, in the equity world, we were doing like a fair amount of these, like on like FXI, for example, or you know, like the Chinese internet names that could just absolutely have like massive moves to the upside because, and there was a lot of interest in these structures just because, you know, you could just get absurd discounts, you know, that were optically quite attractive. Yeah, Yeah, that
0: that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Sorry, go ahead.
1: Uh, I mean, I think uh, just on Joe's point, right? Like I I actually think it makes a lot of sense, even even for those people who think there is going to be a 40% move, right? Because in a 40% move, in most cases, people are long cash, long Delta, long, long ball, like, you know, they have all these alts, which are really pumping at that time. Look, do you really care that you lost the premium that you bought on this option? Right? Like, I mean, at that point you're, you're pretty happy anyway. Right. So it's kind of like a levered way for you to, you know, <laughs> have the view that it, it grinds higher. Yeah. And I
2: think the way, I think the way you pitch it is from like a portfolio diversification perspective, right? It's like, okay, like if you're allocating X amount of cash, just like vanilla calls right now, like, why don't we take like 25% of that premium allocation and then throw them in, you know, put them in these knockouts, right? Like that, that was a very, very common thing, uh, you know, yeah. from some of the big traditional uh, asset managers who didn't have such a strong view on path. I mean, especially with crypto, like how could you, right? Like, so in, in order to kind of, you know, re- reduce that premium outlay and, you know, get exposure or uh, on the same, same token, get exposure to a higher amount of notional you know, taking, you know, some of that portfolio allocation and then putting them into some of these barriers, uh, I think makes a lot of sense.
0: I think it, it looks particularly good sometimes in crypto because the the skew tends to be not very consistently priced, I would say, like the, the risk reversal, it, it varies a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it swings widely from like very positive to very negative. And you wouldn't see that in short Like I think there's less there's less market makers in crypto who are ready to warehouse risk and so you see those wild swings in in those second order parameters and so that that makes those uh those reverse knockouts actually even more attractive when when that skew is for the top side when to be honest it shouldn't be like yeah, or, or at least not for the long term you know so in the long
2: dated is still calls over in btc i mean yeah <laughs> it is,
0: yeah right?
2: you know, it's been it's been like a month or so of like doing nothing right, <laughs> yeah, we're kind of just just sitting here, yeah, that's, that's yeah, I mean it, Go ahead, yeah, so I mean, if
1: we talk about the skew right like i i i I think maybe it'd be good to understand exactly how you hedge these instruments, i mean i understand it's a model and it's complicated, et cetera, but like roughly like how how does how would you hedge this seventeen hundred uh twenty one hundred uh RKO, um when it you know if somebody traded it today
0: yeah, of course, so like usually we would look at it in a kind of portfolio uh, approach so you know we have lots of different traits and and none of them are exactly hedgeable uh, but then as a portfolio you look at the overall kind of sensitivity to uh, different parameters the the most obvious parameters are spot and and vol uh, so we would very systematically hedge those and then you have exposure to other parameter like the skew like we just talked about the shape of the surface etc so this is a bit kind of abstract way of thinking about it basically you have your entire portfolio and you look at your sensitivity and you try to match that but you if you think about it more um, like I guess granular uh, way so you just have one exotic you don't have a whole portfolio the, then what do you do with that one exotic um, then then you definitely have some pretty close hedges. Uh, You know, if you think about a simple European knockout, so the product I described earlier, the the knockout is so-called continuous, meaning it's observed uh, from the trade date all the way to the expiry anytime. But um, maybe a a simpler product to hedge is uh, what's called a European knockout, where you only observe the knockout at the end, like on the expiry date. So those products can, theoretically be hedged exactly. Um, you know, you have to buy the vanilla strike like the 1700. And then for the 2100 digital, uh, you have to do a call spread around it to, to hedge. And the tighter the call spread, uh, the better the hedge. Um, in in TransFi or OTC, you can do as tight a, a call spread as people will quote it uh, in, in a listed exchange market. Then you're restricted to whatever are the listed strikes around it. Uh, so the the hedge are not going to be perfect but you know that will, if you do if you did like um, a 2100, 2200 type fly and then you you kind of match the, the notionals uh, to be roughly there um, that will that will be you know a pretty good hedge to a to a european knockout uh, now for the continuous knockout that's a bit different because well, if spot goes up very quickly, you know, you can put on your static hedge, like I just described, but then spot goes goes through very quickly, 2100 knocks out, then the option is gone, uh, the exotic option, that, that option has not, nothing left, doesn't exist anymore, then you need to unwind your hedges, so you don't want to, you don't want to be putting on very exact hedges, you know, that, that maybe you won't need, um, so there's like some Probability adjustment in terms of uh, what exactly you should be hedging or how much you should be hedging, uh, and what ratio of it that that comes from pricing models. Yeah. I hope that's clear enough. Yeah, I no, mean, I, I, I think I think was, was, was
1: super. Yeah, that's very clear. Yeah, I, I think I think it would be interesting to know how much like when you hedge because all of this is OTC, right? So you're directly facing, um, you know, like a hedge fund or some kind of risk taker, and they buy this option uh, from you. Um, so when they when they trade against you, it's OTC. But then when you hedge, in general, um, do you use the OTC market or the exchange market um, to to hedge?
0: No, for look, the, if we have any any risk that we need to hedge, the primary venue in crypto is, is clearly derivative, uh, like including via Paradigm. Obviously, you guys are like the the top venue to to find liquidity. So it's the question is more how much do you need to hedge? Um, you know, if like when I, when I worked at, um, uh, at banks in TransFi, uh, people talk about something called the internalization ratio, which is if a client uh, does a hundred of something, uh, how much do you need to actually go and hedge outside and how much can you internalize? And the, the target is to have as high as possible an internalization ratio. Um, you know, banks like in the spot market, they will target 98, 99, 99 point something percent. And so, well, why is that? Firstly, is that the, as a dealer, you don't, you don't spend fees, you don't cross spreads. And secondly, you reduce market impact also for your client because you don't go and hedge everything they do. Uh, so that, that kind of a high internalization ratio is ideal for both sides. Uh, and that can only be achieved with a big network and a big client franchise of people who do different things and have different interests. Um, I don't think the, the ratios of like internalization ratio of dealers in crypto are anywhere near what they are at banks, uh, but that that's kind of the the target. Uh, and then, whatever residual risk you have, as far as crypto options go, certainly is via derivative paradigm at the moment. Yeah open for changes but for the moment is this is it
2: yeah yeah it's it's just i mean like like i mentioned you guys are kind of the first ones here right and you need you need to have you know like our our my the former equity business you you have you have that two-way flow and you're able to internalize a lot of risk because you know risk risk that i'm putting putting in my exo books you know i can kind of repackage them and you know out to out to hedge funds right you know and you know, to the hedge funds that are looking to you know just buy vanilla options, right? Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. So I, I hear you guys are offering, you're doing some, yeah, and you you did allude to it, some like DeFi exotic options, right? Like I read there was something you guys were doing around impermanent loss and in Uniswap liquidity pools, and this is really interesting to me because this is like one of the first examples of an exotic. That hedges an exposure that is non-existent in TradFi, right? We've been talking about like barriers and like ball bar swap, like all these things are already existing in the Tradify ball markets. It's just you just have a different underlying asset. But like what you guys were talking about, talking about in hedging and permanent loss, well, that's a that's a concept that's unique to crypto. Like I would love,
0: I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, no, totally. Actually, when I, uh, it was shortly after I I, I quit my job and I started reading about crypto and I read about this Uniswap impermanent loss. And it was kind of, I thought it was interesting. So I read a few medium articles and the more I read, the more I realized, oh, you know, this is just another exotic option. Like I can definitely price that. So it was kind of the, the first things that got me interested into crypto. So I'm definitely happy to talk about it. Yeah, so the the impairment loss on Uniswap essentially when you provide liquidity on Uniswap. Uh, so let's say you provide on the ETH USDC pool, and uh, your exposure, like we can keep it to V2 to to keep things simple, your exposure is half and half USDC and ETH. Uh, and so, like in the simplest analysis, you might think that well, you just have 50% uh, sensitivity exposure to ETH, and the other half is just in dollar, and that's that. Uh, but that actually, that's not quite that because of the the setup of the automated market maker, the formula, and the way Uniswap works, you end up having some some short convexity exposure, and that has a a well defined payoff, uh, which is well the formula is a bit messy. Like there's a there's for V2, there's one square root. For V3, there's like quite a few square roots in the formula. Yeah, because V3, but... you need to
2: set the range as well in terms of you know yeah. the price range in which you want to be in LP, LP. right?
0: Yeah, exactly. But ultimately, you know, this is something that you can, you know, the payoff is just one formula, and you can get that in Excel, and and that's going to be uh, how, however much you lose on the impermanent loss effect. Uh, as compared to what you would have got with just a simple half and half USDC and ETH exposure. So that is just, when you have a, a a pair of formula like this that's deterministic, you know, in the sense you just need the spot at the beginning and the spot at the end, and you, you have a formula that determines how much you're going to make or lose, that's something that can be priced. Like That is exactly the definition of an exotic option, I think. Uh, you know it, it, any payoff formula that is in the call or a put, then that's mm-hmm. an exotic option. so so this is what this was. And so we can price it uh, with our like standard um, pricing model, and we can hedge it uh, in a, in the kind of more abstract way that I described earlier, where you you look at the sensitivity and uh, and you you try to hedge um, and and replicate the payoff as close as possible with uh, with the vanillas that do trade on the exchange. And that's um, actually pretty easy to do because that's a European payoff. Like I'm, like I was going through earlier on the barriers, when payoffs are European, meaning they only depend on spot at start, start and spot at end, they're they're a lot easier to hedge, and and the impairment loss is is European. So this is something that we've been talking about with uh, with with various funds and and people who are interested in in DeFi and who've been providing liquidity on, on Uniswap or other forks like sim- similar to Uniswap. And uh, and yeah, we've had a lot of interest in people looking to hedge impermanent loss. We've seen different approach. Like some people just, they just buy a long-term V2 hedge, one-year V2 hedge. And then, you know, they probably do some rebalancing of their exposure, but they don't rebalance the impermanent loss hedge. Like they just keep that as a macro hedge, I think, to their portfolio.
2: Right.
0: We've also seen people doing very... Uh, I would say advanced strategies on the v free liquidity provision which i'm not expert in but you know if you look at like exactly which range has uh, less liquidity but is likely to trade you're going to earn more fees then you can provide liquidity in that range it's going to be more profitable Um, so they try to to hedge exactly those range that they provide liquidity for they they hedge that in permanent loss and then they keep rebalancing to to make it right Uh, so we see different approaches but it's definitely been Yeah, it's had a lot of interest.
2: Right. Yeah. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, it just seems like a short gamut exposure. And it's a, that's just a function of the final price, but it's independent of the path, right? Like you were, you were talking about like edging continuous barrier options, right? That this sounds like from a, a replication standpoint, sounds a lot less complicated than a continuous barrier option as path dependency. And then you have the listed derivative market already that is quite liquid. So you have this implied probability distribution of, you know, for a given expiry. And then you just apply that distribution to the different potential final prices. And that determines the expected impermanent loss. And then you just wrap a contra- contract for difference around it and put charge a fee on top. It's similar to, you know, a fixed versus floating interest rate swap because exactly. you're giving a liquidity provider this opportunity to lock in an impermanent loss. Is it is,
0: that, yeah, is that, it. that is that right? Yeah, no, that's exactly
2: right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Hmm. I mean, I think I think the even bigger thing is this is like so far we've talked about very sophisticated investors, right? They're, they have a very, you know, very simple like view on where ETH is going. This is uh, this could be mom and pop, right? Like because literally anyone could put money into Uniswap and then they could come in and um they could they could hedge.
0: Yeah, I guess it would need to be packaged by some intermediary. Uh... Um, you know, where you can provide liquidity on Uniswap in a hedged way, and and then the intermediary is kind of uh, managing the, buying the hedge from a, a dealer like us or others, so I, I think that comes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier on the notes, like it lacks a little bit of market infrastructure and people having the, the role of, um, you know, trading with the final end clients and, and issuing those whatever the the exact format needs to be in each country is so all these things are, are not there yet i feel so currently the main interest has been coming from very much institutional investor like hedge funds type
2: yeah right i read something that you guys are also looking to do something similar with with staking yields right it's kind of a kind of a similar problem if you're if you're somebody that's trying to lock in lock in that yield you can structure that as a fixed versus floating as well, right? Obviously a lot more variables at play here uh, that you need to take account for, but I mean, can you tell us about that, what you're looking to do there?
0: Yeah, definitely. I guess the like the underlying source of the yield is a bit different. Um, you know, in Uniswap, you earn the yield because people pay fees when they trade on the Uniswap decentralized exchange. Um, in the case of the staking yield, well, uh, the fee, the yield is coming from essentially people using the blockchain uh, so the more the blockchain is being used the more fees are being generated and so by staking um, the ETH you have you can earn some of those fees as a yield uh, the the difficulty with that i think especially for institutional investors probably is that that yield is completely unknown and variable it changes every day so one of the main uh, staking defi staking services at the moment uh, the Lido protocol so they they publish uh, an apr every day that's coming from transaction on blockchain and you don't know you know if you stake some eth in there then every day you find out how much you earn and, and that's it so if you're planning to earn yield for 3 months then you really have no idea how much you're going to earn over 3 months so that makes it quite difficult like that that lack of predictability i think for some investors uh, so we've been offering uh, the option to swap that variable rate into a fixed rate um, then you know you let's say you're an investor who's uh, staked the your eth into lido uh, then that investor is going to pay us the variable rate they earn in lido and we're going to pay them a fixed rate so this is really very much like a a fixed floating interest rate swap in um, in Trotfair, you know, where you don't exactly know where the Fed fund rate is going to be or Eonia or whatever is the short, you know, the short rate in the country, uh, but you want a fixed rate, so you do an interest rate swap to to fix it.
2: Hmm. Very 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 interesting. Uh, okay, so the last thing that I want to talk about uh, that applies not only to cryptoexo but all crypto derivative markets is this whole concept of, you know, OTC counterparty risk, right? It's, it's certainly on the top of mind of all our crypto derivative investors, you know, given the credit crisis we've had. And I mean, how you think crypto spots volatile, then you add derivatives on top of it with, you know, exotic wrappers. (laughs) And it's like, wow. Right. Like, and in traditional markets, you know, you, you can have custodians, you can can have these tri-party agreements to to help mitigate, you know, some of this risk, but it doesn't really exist here yet, right? Like what are, what are things that, you know, Orbit has been doing in order to manage that counterparty risk discussion around an exotic offering? And, you know, how have you guys been, you know, giving investors confidence around that?
0: So I feel for counterparty risk, uh, I don't, Think it makes too much of a difference if you're doing a very simple uh, product or a very exotic one. It, you know, as long as the loss potential loss is the same or potential profit for the other side. Um, you know, if that's very explosive, like in a variance swap, then okay, that's an that's an extra problem. Right. But uh, if it's some kind of linear payoff, uh, then you know, then it's basically the same. Uh, so. Still, that still makes it a big problem in crypto. Um, so I think, like to me, one of the the biggest issues with the counterparty risk is uh, the lack of transparency because in in fire you trade from one bank to another or or one or even one bank to a fund, but there's a lot of transparency around uh, counterparties' financials um and that gives a lot of confidence when you trade, right? Uh, but but in crypto, there's very little transparency, and not just that. Even if you have audited financials, well, these only come once a year, and and one year in crypto is an eternity, right? Like it's much <laughs> it's a much shorter <laughs> time frame than, than in ShredFi. So that that just kind of makes it difficult to have confidence to trade with with different counterparties and take risks. Um, I think the the standard setup of you know exchanging collateral every day uh, based on the marked market, market uh, that is like absolutely standard in in banking. I think that that's a good thing. like that that works uh, pretty well. and that reduces risk for both parties. not it doesn't it doesn't make the risk zero. You know but it it does reduce it materially to however much the to market, market can move over one day. Uh, so that that makes it much better. Uh, I think the you know the overall full setup with custodians um, that's still very nascent. I would say at this stage, yeah. uh, I, the, There are some decentralized solutions to this. Like uh, you know, we, we've had um counterparties interested to use Gnosis um, Safe. I think the brand is safe now. Um, which is uh, which we think is actually potentially uh, a pretty good alternative to custodians, uh, like essentially multi-sig wallet that that lock the the margin. So I think that's still you know not completely clear uh, how that can work, and there's still a lot of questions around operational controls. But potentially it could be very um, scalable uh, and. Thanks to the DeFi setup where you know you have, you have can have liquidity tokens and then those tokens might be in the safe, but you could still stake them somewhere. You could earn a yield. Like It's quite composable. Uh, so potentially, I think there's a lot to be done uh, and there's a lot to build there.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I hear you. I mean, Sohan, we should build this stuff, right? Like- <laughs> I was just about o- to say o- what we o- need is like a central- Multi multi sig wallet, right? Like no no party has you know singular control over it, right? Both parties need to improve, approve a transfer of collateral, right? Like it's not like multi-sig is like a very novel concept in crypto, right? Like this has been go this has been been around for quite a while, right? And if Paradigm is looking to pivot towards DeFi like eventually, right? This could this could potentially solve the entire bilateral OTC trust issue, right? That is affecting all our markets right? And, you know, so a speed of settlement, number one, no need for intermediaries, number two, lower cost. Number three, it's asset class agnostic, right? You can you could easily bring like this sort of concept and bring it to equity derivatives, bring it to FX derivatives, right? And then you have, then you can also have this automated collateral transfer because of the open source nature of the contract, right? You're able to monitor the mark to market in real time. And, you know, e- even like the daily collateral management, right? At, at banks, right? You have so many people that are in the weeds doing it and it's always constant, causing constant headaches for customers, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's easier said than done, but like, I don't know, it kind of feels like DeFi is the answer here, especially when the C5 yeah. is like, you're not, you're not getting the big custodians coming into crypto. Like All like the big state, all the stablecoin stuff, right? Is like FTX or what have you is, is setting it back, right? Like, BMY, like the bigger like the biggest custodian, is not coming into crypto custody anytime soon, right? Aren't they in it? Yeah, I
1: mean I, I think I think
2: are they? I think so. Then, then why why are we working with them?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the main thing is like you just need I mean the, the clear need here is that for all these complex payoffs, you need either a centralized going exchange or like an like an LCH type. Uh, you know, type entity, or you need um, a DeFi solution, right? Um, I still think that's like, it's it's mixed, right? Like, some people just can't take DeFi, right? Like, I mean, smart contract risk is just not something people can take. And then likewise, some people just can't take CFI credit risk. So it's a, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you're going to have both solutions, I think, concurrently, uh, you know, coming to the front.
2: Yeah, but like, um, I would trust yes, well-written we code that has been audited more than just like some black box balance sheet where what I don't know what the hell is behind it.
1: Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, good idea. We should definitely build this. <laughs>
2: <right. You're laughs> <alpha. laughs> Why do,
1: uh, yeah, do they go off and do that? Right. <laughs> uh, let's, let's catch up tomorrow. I'll be done. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's everything for me. It's been, it's been, it's been 45 minutes. It's been, it's been a great conversation. Um. Any, any closing thoughts or I, are we good to end it here?
0: No, yeah, thanks very much for for having me. Great, great having a conversation with you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to keep working with you guys.